coming up on this episode of Behind the Mic with Rick Hampton. You may not know his face, but I'll bet you if you love 80s music or listening to morning radio in OKC, you've heard his voice. On this episode of Behind the Mic, I will introduce you to the guy who landed in Oklahoma City at KOMA in 1988 and been there ever since. And he's the host of the nationally syndicated show, Totally Awesome 80s. Hang on, we're headed back to the future with Kent Jones. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious... Welcome to the Behind the Mic with Rick Hampton podcast. Brought to you by Mojo Merchandise. Join radio veteran Rick Hampton and his guests for informative and entertaining discussions as they take you behind the scenes, behind the stories, behind the music, and more. Originating from the Big Daddy Studios, it's time to go behind the mic, and here's your host, Rick Hampton. Welcome into Episode 9. I am your host, Rick Hampton, and I've got a good one for you today. I've enjoyed his work for a long time, and I think that he has one of the best voices in the business. We're going to be talking uh, kind of where he's been, where he's going in the future. You know, I'm an 80s child, and this nationally syndicated show, Totally Awesome 80s, feeds my addiction. Please welcome to the show, Kent Jones. Hello, hello. Thank you very much, Rick. I, I think you have one of the best voices. It's clean. It's clear. Sounds great. Well, I appreciate that. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, that's an old joke. Yes. Uh, I do appreciate that. Thank you. And you know what's interesting? When I was younger and I, I wanted to do uh, voice work, mm-hmm. I always thought, I don't have a voice for that. I don't. It must be just something about being conditioned, being in radio a lot. Mm-hmm. And then there, some, age probably has something to do with it as well. So thank you. I really I appreciate the compliment. Well, you know, we, we talked about um, age and we talked about the startings of radio. But let's take you back even further to you. Uh, you were born in Columbus, Ohio. Right. 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 And music has been in your blood pretty much from an early age. Well, right? yeah. Um, and I have two older brothers. One has uh, since passed away, but they they played in the high school band, mm-hmm. clarinet and saxophone. And I thought, well, you know, I want to be like my brothers. I want to play an instrument. And so I thought, well, I'll try the saxophone and I'll try the clarinet. As soon as they started teaching me and I thought I had all the keys, then they said, well, there's another key over here you get with your little finger. And then there's another key over there. I said, forget that. Yeah, I'm going to do this. trumpet where they've got three <laughs> keys right in front of my face. And so that's what I did. I played trumpet all through um, you know, junior high, high school. Even our marching band was national champions, and that was a lot of fun. With the marching band, there was a little bit of an incident, right, that kind of steered you in another direction. Well, yeah. Uh, yes, this was in high school in, uh, in Brexville, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland. And um, early in the school year... We were playing football in gym class. Well, the girls got to play on the field. The guys got to play on the parking lot. Mm. I went out for a pass, and uh, the guy that was trying to intercept uh, tangled with me. We fell to the ground. I broke my wrist, which when you look at it, kind of looked like a Z shape. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, that's terrible. So after I got a cast on, the problem is that I couldn't fit my band uniform on anymore. So they made me the announcer in the press box at halftime. This is so cool. I get to go up in the press box and be the band announcer. That was my first official announcing job. And, and, and the rest, they say, is history. That's right. That's where it went from there. Been, been there ever <laughs> since. So uh, went to college at Ohio University. Yes. And yes. Um, your course of study at that point? It was uh, radio and television uh, with an emphasis on production. And interestingly, at the time, now this was in 1975 when I graduated high school, and I was looking at different colleges to go to. And I had heard that Ohio University was just one excellent broadcast uh, school. Mm-hmm. 
But you know what? At the, at the same time also, it was a big party school. And I thought, you know what? I, when I'm going to college, I don't want to go to party. I want to go to learn. I want to become a broadcaster. Well, it just took me one visit there to realize with the facilities they had and the focus on student uh, experience, which really counts for a lot in this business, um, that that was the only school I decided to apply to yeah. and went there and um, had a great time. And, yes, that was the, also at the era when they began the annual spring riot. Mm. Um, I did not participate in that, but I reported on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. While you were there, you you're, you were studying uh, the that course, but um, you also kind of took an interest in computers, correct? Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, it was in, in high school. And when I remember sitting at the high school cafeteria and seeing these guys pour over these sheets of weird symbols and stuff. And I said, what in the world is that? And they said, it's computer, uh, basic computer language. I said, that sounds interesting. I would like to learn more about that. Well, at the time, we didn't have laptops. And, you know, this was at a time when you had mainframe computers somewhere. Yeah. And you, you were lucky enough to have a terminal to that computer in the school. So after school, I would go to that terminal and go through some routine that would teach me basic computer language over the course of like 10 courses. And I, so I taught myself basic language. And I took the real interest in that, in fact, to the point where, now, I don't know what this has to do with AP English, mm-hmm. but for my English course, course, I programmed the computer to schedule a radio show, complete with all the music, all the announcements. I could add records, take off records, you know, the whole library. I did all that, and then I performed a show that my program had scheduled for my English class. I got an A on the project. Right. But that's all I ever got. (laughs) Somebody else developed it into a commercial venture for radio stations, and they're making billions. (laughs) Yeah, Music Master and all of those. Right, RCS Selector. RCS Selector. So, yeah, yeah, Andy Economos was the guy that uh, that started Selector. I got to meet him later, and uh, I thought, man, you know what? He took my idea, even though he had never met me before. Never never had anything. Look at at him go. Wow, that's great. (laughs) When I read that in your bio, I thought that was interesting. I, you know, many hours that I sat in front of Music Master just pulling my hair out because it didn't do what I wanted to do. I thought, man, I should have just picked up the phone and called Kent. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you, today's programs do a whole lot more than what mine did. Well, take me through your career path then. Once, where did you get your start in radio itself? And then from there, where did it take you? Well, I'll tell you, um, I actually got the first experience of doing it in high school. And that radio show I did Mm -hmm. was part of the high school radio station that my friends and I put together uh, with the help of the AV department. And we had scheduled all week long, kids during their study halls would come and, and do a show. And I did the morning show as the buses were arriving and so on. So that was really my first time being in front of a microphone performing a radio show for somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, then on into college. And of course, that was that was a great experience on the radio and TV stations there at Ohio University, but also did part time in Parkersburg. It was a, a WKYG. It was a country station mm. that I did on the weekends. I think because I had to borrow somebody else's car to get there, and because the weather was often bad, I think I missed more shifts than I made. <laughs> I was surprised they kept me on as long as they did. But that was fun. And then right out of college, you know, I could have gone just about anywhere. I mean, I searched all over the place. Ended up in Owensboro, Kentucky, a town of about 60,000 people. Nice town. And I was there for a couple of years at a station, uh, WOMI. You know, the interesting thing about that station, our program director was, was very smart. And we had a lot of good talent there. In fact, I think we sounded pretty big market compared mm-hmm. to our competitor, but our competitor always won in the ratings. And looking back on it, I think it's because our competitor station related more to the market 
and we were just too big time sounding, right? right? So there's something that's one too, thing I learned. Too cool for the room, I guess. So I mean, at that moment, I guess yeah. so. And interestingly, uh, I've been good friends with with all those guys forever. Our music director, um, John Ivy, went on. He's the program director of Kiss in Los Angeles. Wow. Kevin Meyer, who went by a different name on on that station. Kevin Meyer's in Tulsa mm-hmm. at uh, KTSO. Totally awesome, eighties. Yes. And um, and then the others are, are spread all around the country. But that was an interesting and fun two years there. From there, went to um, a TV station in Evansville, Indiana, a CBS affiliate, Channel 25, and was only there for three months because I was looking to get into radio again somewhere in a bigger market. Mm-hmm. Ended up with a great opportunity to go to Columbus, Ohio. And it's like, wow, I'm going to this big market, right? And they put me on the overnight shift from 3 to 5.30 in the morning, which was okay. Right. They were the number one station in town, 610 WTVN, it was a f- uh, full-service AC station, number one station, huge. And I'm like, am I really up to this? Can I right. do this? And it turned out to be a, a lot of fun for five years. I was part-time, I was full-time, but I was, I was half uh, radio DJ and half studio engineer. So I helped build their new studios, which were beautiful studios in downtown Columbus. And after five years there, I was, became their assistant uh, program director and music director. The company, which was Taft Broadcasting, expanded into Indianapolis, bought stations there. So I got promoted to program director of their oldies station. Now, keep in mind, while I was in Columbus, I hosted a weekend oldies request show. And this was in the 80s, in the early 80s, and we were playing 50s and 60s music, and the phone lines just would not stop. It was just an awesome time. Saturday night, Sunday night, through the week I would do a magazine show. It was an hour and a half uh, called a hit magazine. Remember the old TV show? I do. PM magazine? Yep. Right. This was the radio version. We just made it up ourselves. And we would do countdowns, theme shows, and that kind of thing. So when I got to program an oldie station in Indianapolis, it sure was a lot of fun. We we put on some great music and for three years, but it was always the little sister. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they didn't care much about it for some reason. Right. Well, it could be because on our FM sister station, Bob and Tom were doing the morning show. This was before they got syndicated, and they were hilarious, and they still are. Of course, I think I think Bob has since retired. But wonderful. wonderful. So I didn't blame them for not paying attention to my little AM oldies station. Mm-hmm. But when they decided to take it all sports talk, they gave me a three-month notice, and they said, look, we're going to do this, but we're going to pay for you to go to the NAB so that you can network and find your next job. Because it's to say, which is <laughs> – which is rare yeah. in in the radio business, honestly. Uh, uh, it really that, is. You know. Normally, you get two seconds notice. Right. It's, and, and it's usually you're out that, the door. It's usually the general manager <laughs> or somebody walking in and going, or the program director walking in and saying, "Hey." When you're done with this shift, can you stop by my office for right. a few minutes? Yeah, and, and that's yeah. that's the word you never want to Right. <laughs> but no, they were so nice. Uh, Chris Wheat was the general manager then, and he, he, was, he said, look, we're going to provide you anything you need to help you get your next gig, which is great. So yeah. um, in the meantime, I went applying all over the place. One of the places that I talked to, I didn't know who they were. You know, in the radio business, you don't want to tip your hat that you're about to change format mm-hmm. because your competitors in the market will try to beat you to the punch. Yep. All I knew is this big radio station was going to switch to oldies, and they needed somebody who could be creative and have fun with the format. So I applied. They responded. They called me um, three different times. We talked for probably an hour each time. I still didn't know who they were. Right. I was trying to put together clues, and I couldn't quite make it. Was it Minneapolis? Was it Chicago? Was it, I didn't know where. Then they finally said, look, here's what we want you to do. We want you to go to the airport. There's going to be an airplane ticket waiting for you. You'll need to pay for it yourself. But trust us, when we get here, we'll give you cash. Huh. And so I said, okay, 
Um, so I did. I went to the airport. There was a ticket waiting for me. I paid the cash. I got on the plane, got to, uh, it turns out it was uh, Kansas City, I think it was. And they said, just wait until you hear your name page. So I waited. And sure enough, I heard my name page to go to some airline lounge. Right. And I met there with three people. And they talked with me and um, they said, do you have any questions for us? And I said, uh, yeah, who are you? <laughs> yeah, who are you? <laughs> they said, well, we can't tell you that. I said, well, I understand. I know how that game works. But you know, who am I talking to? What, what positions? Well, it was two owners and the general manager. And they said, okay. Great, thanks. And off I went back home. Well, I was on my way home, flying back to Indianapolis. They called my wife. And they said, uh, when Kent gets home, just want to let you know we want to offer him the job. And she said, great. Where is it? Well, we can't tell you. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Okay. So I get home and I make the call and she's looking over, over my shoulder. And I write down when they tell me. Oklahoma City. And she goes, where in the world is Oklahoma City? (laughs) She thought, cowboys and tumbleweeds, Mm -hmm. right? I said, great. So here's what we're going to do. They said, we'll fly you down so you can take a look at the market and kind of see what you think. They flew us down and we looked around. We thought, yeah, this this is pretty nice. We decided to take the job. And then I said, look, Barb, here's what we'll do. We'll help them get their oldie station started. We'll stay here like six months, um, then we'll go on to somewhere else. So we had some pending things out in California and New Hampshire and other places. And, you know, we'll just do this and, and then go on. 30 years later, I'm still mm-hmm. here. After that, flew back, put the house on the market, flew down to the NAB. Finally, it's time for the NAB, right, right. that they were going to send me to? And I checked into the hotel, got up the next morning, had breakfast with my new boss, one of the owners, checked out of the hotel, went back home, never went to the convention, <laughs> went back home. Painted the deck, cut the grass, got on a plane the next day, went to Chicago where the home office was, designed the oldies format, took three days doing that. Then we got on a plane with a box of carts, all the songs for the new new format. Wow. Flew down here to Oklahoma City, spent the night in a hotel. The next morning we come into the station and we put the new format on the air. So that all happened in the span of one week. Wow. September 23rd, 1988, at noon, we went on with Rock Around the Clock to kick off the oldies format on KOMA. Yeah, and and I tell you that, honestly, truly, there was never a phrase invented other than the rest is history. KOMA in Oklahoma City, and really around the country, too, I mean, was a front runner in the oldies format and, and, and developing that a week yeah, uh, I, I, a box of carts, which um, yeah, my listeners know what carts are. They're little eight tracks type, yeah. that type of system. But man, that well, is amazing. on top of that, in the midst of we're producing some kind of kickoff audio and trying to get that prepared to go on the air, my wife calls and says, "We have three offers on the house." This is on the day that we're trying to put the format on mm-hmm. the air. It's like, okay, Barb, here's what we do, blah, 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 blah. And so all of that going on all at the same time was really a whirlwind time. But here's the thing about uh, KOMA, and I appreciate the compliment on that. We didn't have any research to go by. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of stations today uh, have music research done and, and right. on all that. For years, we had no research. It was a gut feel and the feedback from our listeners over the years. In fact, the corporate people didn't even think that KOMA would be that well-received. You know, they thought we'd get, you know, a couple of share points and all that, let alone start beating out all these FM stations. And there wasn't any single FM station that we took a lot of audience from. It was a little bit from everybody. Um, And all the car clubs responded and uh, just is like KOMA had come back to them. We got the old Mm -hmm. jingles that were used in the 60s, and it was like the old friend had returned. And I very quickly found out how fond people were of this radio station back in the 60s, mm-hmm. that we were bringing that back to them. Yeah, and, and, and I believe so, too. I mean, you know, if you look at um, – because research will tell you a lot. I mean, that obviously. But the one thing that I do know is that your audience will always tell you more. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, really, you can you can rely on every researcher out there, but if you don't check in with your audience and what they want, and it sounds like you know that's part of it. They they responded tenfold or more. They did, and uh, especially with with all the car clubs, suddenly they had something that unified them together, Mm -hmm. and we would go out and visit a lot of the car shows. Sometimes I'd take my mobile music unit out and go, I used to play a lot of wedding receptions and Mm -hmm. things like that, where you go play music at a car show. You know, there's one-on-one contact with the listeners, and you see what they respond to and all. It's just it's just great. That, that contact with the listener is so important. Yeah, and that's what I enjoy the most. I mean, if, if people have asked me the same, you know, you've been out of it now a long time. What was your favorite part? And that's my favorite part mm-hmm. is being around the listener, being around that person, developing that relationship, you know, that relationship that you have. And, and, and it's important. I mean, you can, you can see it on film. You can see it on TV. But with radio, um, you go everywhere they go. So you're in their living rooms, you're in their kitchens, you're at work, you're in their car with them. To me, there's a stronger relationship. Well, there is. Uh, And personality-oriented radio especially is uh, so important. In fact, if a a personality just disappears from the radio, the listeners feel jilted. Mm -hmm. And so if they've grown very close to them, take Danny Williams, for example. Now, Danny Williams, a legend in this market. Uh, And I was fortunate enough to work with him for, let's see, he came in June of 92 and retired in 2008, so about 16 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did announce uh, about a month ahead of time that he was going to retire. That gave everyone a chance to give him a call to make sure they listened to him right. one last time. Uh, we even videotaped in the studio the entire week of his last nice. show. And you, you probably find it on YouTube still. And it's over at the History Museum as well. But that gave people the chance to close out right. on, on his career and wish him well. Yeah. If you just disappear, it's like, what did you do to him? Yeah, you know? what happened? Where right. did he go? What did, yeah. you know, what is, and there's so many questions and stuff. So you've seen a lot of changes and being even in this market since 1988, you've seen a lot of things come and go. I mean, like, you know, the way we do radio now mm-hmm. is obviously totally different. You mentioned personality radio. I love listening to stations that have kept that. Because personality radio, to me, is allowing the on-air personality instead of it being a disc jockey. But, you know, that's, for me, the personality side of radio, that's what I love. Mm-hmm, I love mm-hmm. the personality, and I love listening to stations that still do that Yeah, and, it's and allow it, them to do it. You know, when I grew up uh, listening to radio in Ohio and New Jersey, WABC mm-hmm. in New York was mm-hmm. like uh, – and I got, to meet, I got to meet Dan Ingram, one of my nice. favorite personalities of yes. all. Yes. Uh, but um, uh, I was always influenced by the, the well, s- some of the screaming top 40 jock mm-hmm. style. And I, I admired that. In fact, my first gig in radio at, at the college radio station was a screaming top 40 guy. It wasn't really, I wasn't that great at it. Right. But it seems like a, a lot of DJs, I think, when they start out, feel like they've got to be the DJ yep. and, and put on that voice and all that. Really, when you get down to it, it's more about the personality is more about the way you and I are talking here. Mm -hmm. So if you can picture – this is why it's so good to meet your listeners. If you can picture in your mind who your listeners are and just carry on a conversation with them. If they're sitting in their car or they're at home, they feel like their friend is talking to them. They're not being announced to. Right. Now, I'm a big fan of that style though. So, yeah, I'll break into it once in a while because it's just fun to do. Well, and if anybody ever asks to, you know, say something in your radio voice, 
that's the voice they want. Right, yeah. You know, they don't want this voice. You know, yeah. they want the screaming voice. Right. So, so for, just for fun, I'll say, hey, it's 532. How are you today? Right. You know, but that's not how I normally talk. Right. If, if you listen to my morning show partner, Lisa Sykes, is the most fun partner. And we just kind of got together. I put her, I paired her up with Danny Williams years ago because here is a woman that can really identify with our audience. And then when Danny retired, I went ahead and slid on in there, and, and we, we kind of worked out the chemistry. But, wow, how much fun that is. Yeah. So we, if you get a chance to listen to us in the morning, it's more about a conversation between the two of us and, and telling our listeners some things and so on. It's not about being a top 40 job. Right. Playing, playing the hits, right? You know, so yeah. it, it playing the a hits and getting about. the jigs. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, what is your? You obviously you've been around for a long while, but I know that you have the best radio story. There has to be one somewhere. Wow. That you probably tell anytime somebody says, "Well, come on," I mean, really, you you've had some, <laughs> right? And there's probably at least one. If if not, I'll put it this way. If you can't tell it, fine. But I know there's got to be one in there somewhere. Well, let's see. Gosh, uh, it, that is a tough one to think about. Because uh, you're right. I've been around for a while. Talking about starting in, in the 70s, in 1975. Well, for instance, <laughs> um, when I was at that station in Columbus, Ohio, our, our studios were on the 15th floor of a bank building in downtown at the corner of Gay and High. And uh, Gay Street and High Street. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, we would order pizza. Because here on Saturday nights, we are... Um, we are having fun, playing the oldies. We're getting calls from parties all over town. Ohio State University, the girls having parties in their dorm rooms were mm-hmm. calling. And every time they would call, we'd ring the party bell. Ding. All right. What, what request do you want? Well, we would order pizza. Well, of course, the pizza guy can't come up to the 15th floor. We would have to go out the lobby, take the elevator down to the first floor, let them in the building, pay for the pizza, get back on the elevator, hope it doesn't get stuck, make right. it all the way back up and in through the locked lobby door. Back to the studio at the far end of the building, and hopefully that everything was still working. Right. Thankfully, it, it did. I don't think we ever got stuck, but we, you know, it was a close call now and then. One of mine uh, used to we had cart racks, and they were the shelves or whatever that we would the organizers that we would put carts in and things like that. Well, we had several that were the large, lazy Susan type, big, massive kind. And early days of radio, I had a temper sometimes. So I would throw things and stuff like that. And there's been a couple of times where, you know, you stacked your show and so you would stack all these carts on top and then you would go to move them and they would fling everywhere. That was even back in the day when we played 45s. And so it would knock the needle off or whatever, you know, sometimes. Well, one time I was aggravated because I didn't post a song. You know, I walked on it, which we've talked about that as well. You get the Golden Tennis Shoe Award. Yes. (laughs) And exactly. And I was upset. And I reached over and I grabbed two fingers and spun that cart rack. Did you know that if it's properly installed, you can almost sling out every single cart (laughs) out of one of those? Yes. And did you know that there that was also numerically organized? Uh-huh. So there were about probably a hundred carts or more scattered all over the studio wow. uh, that I had thrown all over the place, and I didn't do wow. that anymore. But that was one of them. There was a time uh, when I was in college. We we had a a, a huge snowstorm shut down the university, mm-hmm. but the radio station, of course, had to keep going. We didn't have power in the radio TV building. 
but we did have power at the transmitter site. So we patched in a battery-operated mixer to the master control straight out to the transmitter site, and we talked and talked and talked. <laughs> Fortunately, there was a piano in the room, so one of the professors came by and played a song every now and then on the piano. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, we got whatever information we could get. I don't know how we got information off the wire. But, yeah, that was one of those you just have to keep the show going. Yeah, and, and, and you're right. That, you know, it's just like the medical field. Uh, you know, you, you never call in. You know, I don't care if it's snowing and there's waist-deep snow. Get here somehow mm-hmm. to get, you know, for your shift. Same deal with the radio. It was the same way. It had to go on every time. And so, right. you know, if you had to stay at the station, I remember there was one time that I was there probably three or four days. You know, now, granted, they, there was shower, place to shower or whatever, but uh, – I'm telling you, that was interesting. I I, I found that fascinating. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting uh, and a cultural experiment too, because you've got so many different people that you know, like the night shift guy is still there, right? Even though you know you think he goes home and goes to a new cave and sleeps, you know, whatever, you know, the overnight guy. Uh, well, you know, and, and similar weird. thing happened here recently uh, at KOMA, and in Oklahoma City, we had this huge snowstorm. I was probably five, six years ago. That uh, well, I saw it coming, and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be able to get into work in the morning, so I'm going to go tonight and camp out in my office so that I can be there in the morning to mm-hmm. let people know what's going on. So sure enough, I was there, and there were five of us in the station that camped out for three days before mm-hmm. anyone else could come in or go. That was, that was one of the huge snowstorms. Uh, and that was fun. You know, and I made sure I brought some food with me and – Right. It, it was a great little, you know, it, it almost, it was kind of like being on Gilligan's Island. And, it, <laughs> and when somebody finally comes in, it's like they're invading the family. Yeah. You know, so we, we almost back, hated to see it end. Were you the professor? or? Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably was the yeah, professor. Yeah. Uh, Lisa will, will tease me now and then how I'm, I'm very much a charts and graphs kind of mm-hmm. guy. Um, and she's very much the party girl. Uh, we are opposites in so many ways. So, yeah, she'll tease me a lot. Which I, works well. Actually, it's the you best know? combination yeah. you can Start get. Start stay. It works very well. Yeah. So, all right. So who in your travels and throughout your career, who is the biggest celebrity that you've met working in the business? Well, as far as the, the biggest um, the biggest radio celebrity, it would certainly be Dan Ingram, mm-hmm. who was on, uh, uh, I guess, around – he was on KBOX in Dallas for a while, but he ended up on WABC in New York and then later WCBS. But when, and when WABC was so huge in the 60s and 70s, you know, Dan Ingram was there in the afternoon. And, and what was really cool was in 1977, I got to go into the station – Rick Sklar was the program director, and he used to attend Ohio University. And so I had written to him, and I said, look, I'm a student at OU. Would you please listen to my audition tape? Well, not only did he do that, he listened to it right there when I was there in his office. And I thought, well, that's a nervous kind of thing. But then he had right. somebody show me around, and it was the time that Dan Ingram was on the air in the afternoon, and I got to be in the WABC studio, which for a kid in college right. just wanting to be in radio – um, was one of the dreamy things. I'd always wondered what that studio was like, and it was an awesome, beautiful studio. Mm-hmm. So I got to spend about 10 or 15 minutes in there and chatted with him a little bit. And I said, Dan, you have been, you are so popular and you've been on the radio for so long. Has it turned into just a job for you or is this still fun? And he said, well, you know what? It is kind of a job, but you know what? I have fun with it every day. He was the only personality that I know of, and I'm sure there's been others, but that can actually talk during the commercials, make fun of them, and mm-hmm. get away with it. Right. He was that funny. People just loved him. Yeah. So I, it was so cool to be able to meet him. But nobody could do what he does. But I had an appreciation for him 
that I kind of modeled my style a little bit after him. Another guy was Bob Connors. Bob Connors was the morning guy on 610 WTVN in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. When I went there and all those years, uh, he has since uh, passed away, sadly. But wow, what a very popular morning guy who knew how to have fun with his news guy, his traffic guy, with the audience. Also extremely knowledgeable. And he was one of those guys that could just relate and talk to you. And I would listen to him. I would precede him. I was on the air from 3 to 5.30 in the morning, and then mm-hmm. he came on. So while I was doing all my engineering kind of things, wiring up studios, I was listening to him. And I got like, wow, he is so good. His timing, he knows how to pause, where to relate, and so on. So I thought, that's a guy I want to be like. And so I started emulating him more than anything. And I, I, I credit him a lot with, with helping me become a better personality on the radio because of listening to him. And back to your earlier point about personality and how things have changed. One of the things that I miss about radio is you don't find as much personality as you used to. Right. I've always believed that it'd be great for a radio station anywhere to have a farm team, a farm team radio station that's, that's developing personality that can move up to the bigger markets. Yeah. Uh, and I wish we had that. It's, it's finding another Ronnie K is going to be right. very difficult. Right. Uh, but it would be nice to, to develop one. Yeah, I was listening to him actually coming over, and I'm still like, man, I, he had the uh, Finally Friday yeah, uh, yeah. Elvis tune. Uh, I, golly. You I've, know I've heard that so many times, and still, I still laugh. I still chuckle at it. I still think, well, yeah, that's true. I have a great appreciation for him, and I think it's amazing. I look back at when I was in college, did I ever dream or think that it would be possible that I could work with a guy like Ronnie Kay, let alone be his boss. Mm-hmm. Ronnie is such a good guy. Uh, he's he's so well-known. You would think he, he has the license to have a big head and all that. He does not. He is so approachable, so friendly, so willing to do whatever you need him to do to help the, the station or the mm-hmm. cause or whatever. I will really miss him. I, I hope he never retires. I just think I just want people to know what a genuine real guy right. Ronnie K is and that hopefully there will be another one somewhere down the line and that's the thing that's kind of the sad thing is that it seems like you know we're not growing them anymore you know yeah. we're not culturing that you know environment anymore and and that is a shame that yeah. is sad because and, and, and Ronnie's the kind of guy that I can go look here's the room here's here's the boundaries go have fun mm-hmm and he does it. He knows what good entertainment yeah. is. And largely because he also has had his influences, too. A lot of great entertainers have had their influences that have shaped who they are. And I'm hoping that some of the new broadcasters coming up can find somebody to emulate. That's what I always tell somebody who says, I want to get in radio, how I do it. Find somebody you know is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Study what makes them good. Emulate that style and then develop it into your own. Then you'll be able to grow. And don't be afraid of working for smaller markets. Mm-hmm. In fact, go work at smaller markets. Yeah. Because that's Absolutely. where you really can yeah. have the chance to expand. There was a time I worked in the summer at WBRW in Somerville, New Jersey. Daytime 500-watt station in the middle of a farm field. I had to dodge the chickens on the dirt road to get out to the studios. <laughs> All right. This was an opportunity. In fact, on Christmas Day, I forget what year it was, but 77, 78. Christmas Day, I was the radio station. that I was the only person that checked in in the morning, turned on the transmitter, signed on, did the shows. It was a Sunday, I remember. So I had all the all the uh, religious shows to to air. Of course. Um, I didn't know. I'm not Catholic, so I didn't know how the Catholic mass was going to end. And I, I called somebody. I said, so how do I know when it's over? They said, They'll say the mass is over. <laughs> okay. The unfortunate thing was I made that call too late because mm. I thought the mass was over. I dumped out and I went on to a song and somebody called and they said, it's not over yet. Oh, Wait, Go back, go back, go back. 
<laughs> so I went back, I turned it back on. They said, wait till they say the mass is over. So okay. when you turned it back on, did you do any kind of announcement? No, I just, that you just no, heck no. Put I just, it back on. No, huh? no. Would I admit that on the air? No, I was just switching back on. Technical difficulties. Sorry. Uh, and then it went on. And then I, I played music the rest of the day. I actually had some friends come out. We opened Christmas presents. Uh, and then at the end of the day at sunset, which was, I don't know, at that time, it was like 5 o'clock, signed off, turned off the transmitter, went home. Those kind of experiences you can't get in large market mm-hmm. radio. Yep. Have that fun, break the rules, make your mistakes when the risk is low. Develop that personality, and then when you feel really good and comfortable, get out of there. Move up. Always challenge yourself to move forward and, and get into bigger markets. So um, you, you had talked about your, your radio celebrities or people that you, you loved, and, and I think that's great advice. I, I totally agree because the th- one thing that I'm scared of uh, in listening to radio is it becomes to the point where, well, like for instance, uh, I listen to a lot of radio shows to pattern the podcast after. And even though it's kind of more talk radio because of the fact that we're talking, we're not playing music, I did the same. I listened to a lot of different people to figure out the direction I wanted to go with this show. And for me, doing what I know, which is Mm -hmm. radio show. I'm going to do this like a radio show, have features, have contests, have things that I'm doing in that period will talk with somebody, you know, uh, uh, influence in radio or even somebody from the community. I pattern myself after several different shows that I'm like, hey, this is good radio or this Mm -hmm. is a good show. This is awesome. So that's kind of what I've done with, you know, with yeah. the podcast. And it's it's become interesting to to see that. Uh, just recently there was an article written about me, and it, the title was Big Daddy is Back. And it's not really because I don't go by that name. I use my real name. But in essence, it is because the personality is there. I want right. to make that better. I want to, you know, I want to include, you know, movie drops and, and, and cool intros and contests and things like that. And yeah. See, you, you've, you've heard what sounds good to you as a listener, mm-hmm. and you've taken that and learned, okay, this is the formula I need to do. Make it, tweak it here, tweak mm-hmm. it there. Um, as opposed to going on saying, I want to be a star, and right. I'm going to be out here and be a You actually studied your craft and honed it and have done very, very well. So, and obviously, you know, even learning how to, how to interview people. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you something. When I was at that TV station, that CBS affiliate in Evansville, Indiana, I was the staff announcer. I was also uh, a, a commercial cameraman. I'd go out and shoot the grocery store commercials, occasionally catch a news story or something like that. But the other thing that I did was um, at the end of the newscast at 5 o'clock, I'd get all made up and everything, get on set, and I would read the community announcements. They would tape it on TV to air the next morning, mm-hmm. which would always end with the school lunch menu for the day, which <laughs> always ended with, and milk. Um, and so that was, right. that was always a lot of fun. But I was also the backup to the community affairs director who would do this 30-minute interview with whoever, mm-hmm. uh, community affairs, to air on Sunday mornings. And if he ever couldn't make it, I was the guy to do it. Made me scared as anything. Thankfully, I never had to do it. If, if I saw it coming, I was busy on a commercial shoot or something. I was too nervous because I thought, here I'm going to be sitting in a couch on TV. It's taped, right. but still the pressure is there. you got to come up with what the next question is, and I have no idea what right. it's going to be. Thankfully, over the years, because I've interviewed uh, all kinds of musical artists from 
Richard Carpenter to Peter Noon to um, Chicago. I spent three hours in their hotel room when they came to Columbus, Ohio. That was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, I've learned about interviewing people that you you just want to ask questions like you don't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need to know something, right? right. Obviously, you knew, knew some things about me, so you knew what to ask, which was great. Um, but if you, what, would a, what would a listener who doesn't know anything about this event coming up, what would they want to know? All right? I know a couple of things maybe to ask. So the more I ask, like a listener would ask, mm-hmm. the better the interview goes. And so, and obviously, you've picked up that skill as well, which is great. Well, and I, you know, from one of my mentors, I learned that a long time ago I, because I did a lot of the, yeah, right, yes, mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> and and I, my mentality behind that was, well, I want them to know that I'm listening, that I'm, you know, paying attention. And um, uh, Moon Mullins was his name, and he, I he, knew Moon Mullins. Yes, yeah. He he taught me. He's like, I have interviewed thousands of people. And he said, they don't need to hear your head rattle. Just nod and acknowledge that they're speaking. But don't interfere because you're probably going to wind up wrecking the interview because they're telling you this great story and they're on a roll. So shut up. <laughs> you know, I mean, and that was really it. And that's it was, hard to do. It is it? because you want to talk. You, you're you in the radio business or you're in the broadcast business. So you want to try to say something, too. But it is difficult because, you know, but I've I've tried to learn that from him, you know, over those over those years. That's one reason why I always got the country artist interviews right. is because I learned just shut up. You know, ask them the questions, fill in the blanks, you know, so they don't have to go through every single piece, but drop it off just just barely there so they can come in and. And and talk about it. Right, so. it, it makes your editing job afterwards easier as yes, well. Yes, it does. And don't don't you love the interviews that give you a short answer? Yes. So, what did you think of that concert? It was great. It was great. What, tell me about your next record. It's going to be good. Number one. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. We and you have to come up with a hundred questions to yeah. fill fifteen and minutes. Okay. It, it's either that or a lot of static or crickets noises. Right. Exactly. That, that exactly. Be, right. <laughs> All right. So, have you ever been starstruck? Well, I've had some opportunities. To do that, uh, for instance, when the movie Teachers was filmed in Columbus, Ohio, and our station hosted the premiere for that. So Ralph Macchio, the Karate Kid, mm-hmm. was a star in that movie. Nick Nolte was in it as well. And uh, being able to – oh, here, which leads me, makes me think of another story for you. But anyway, they came to the premiere, and I got their autographs and all that. And, and so that was really cool. I mean, so here I am. And I'm a guy that has always wanted to be a movie actor, which takes us down another path. Right. But, so to be around that was just a whole lot of fun for me. Um, trying to think, oh, who else? Uh, when Donnie and Marie came to Owensboro, Kentucky – and Donnie came into the studio, and I interviewed him on the air. Later went to the um, – uh, what was the name of that theater? Anyway, it was the theater down on the river to see their show. And what's really cool was after the show, everyone's kind of gathering around to the side of the stage. And Donnie peeks out, and he spots me, and he says, Kent, come here, come here, come here. I want you to come in. So I went backstage, and he introduced me to Marie as Owensboro's number one disc jockey. And I thought, how <laughs> cool is that? Yes, I am. That, <laughs> that was so nice. That is cool. But thinking about that that movie premiere in Columbus when we were uh, premiering Teachers, just so happened that the that, uh, I was finishing my show, that hit magazine show, and the talk show host after that, uh, it's on a Friday night, would host Desperate and Dateless. And he would match people up on the air. Turns out he, he, he called in sick that night. And all I could do was was do the show 
from the sidewalk at a payphone <laughs> booth uh, after I'd called in my last report. And I'm there trying to host this show from the payphone in downtown Columbus. And it actually worked out all right before somebody could actually go in there and take over. Wow. But, yeah. There are some interesting things. So that, I'm starting to say, so that is a pretty crazy story <laughs> yeah. of radio. That's, that's pretty it good. Is. So that brings me to my next question. Have, do you have any weirdest listener stories? You know, it, it, and I think all of us that are in radio know that every radio station has its groupies. Okay. And, we, and I say that that's an affectionate term because what you find out in radio, and I, I found this out doing the overnight shift, especially in Columbus, Ohio, was that there were people that would call every night. And you realize before long that you are their only friend. Mm-hmm. You are the one keeping them company through right. the night. And so every radio station has them. And um, and some of them have, um, have some challenges in their lives. And the, I guess the more that you experience the listeners and the, the the wiser you get as you get older, you start to really appreciate different people's situations and the importance that you play as a radio personality in being their friend. Now, it doesn't mean you have to go out to dinner with them and all that kind of stuff, but it, just be there. And so when they call, even though you may not always have time to talk to them a lot, uh, you you always be friendly with them. Yes, over the years, a few of them have passed away and suddenly there's there's a void there. Why aren't we hearing from Tom? Or what happened to uh, there was another another guy? But and and you just feel sorry that you wish their life could have been better, but at least you were there to help be their friend for a while. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, every radio station there's there's been some. Have you uh, have there been, ever been any that you've had to call the police over or anything like that? Well, uh, there was one time that, that these ladies that called the request line and they were very threatening. They were rude, crude. They were swearing up a storm and threatened in some way. And now because they call the request line, there's not a caller ID. And and that's really, to be fair, for, I don't think that's the main reason, but the, one of the side reasons is when people are calling in on a contest, we can't screen out who's calling. You know, if you're right. the ninth caller, you're the ninth caller. Right. So we didn't know who these people were, but we they had to stop this. This was awful what they were doing. So we finally did have to call the the phone company, and I think maybe the police got involved once the phone company learned who they were, and they were no longer an issue after that. Wow. We never knew who they were. didn't yeah. matter to what us, What happened really. or anything else. Interesting. Right. We just knew wow. that the problem had stopped. Right. So, yeah, yeah once in a while it's done. Happened. Yeah. Well, you know, I, and I will say that, uh, you know, you were talking about you don't have any idea who, you know, if you're caller nine, you're caller nine. I do remember uh, one of my radio stories was, and it was actually a, a station in town, and I did it too and i guess i patterned myself after it once as well but i was on the air and we were doing a midday show contest and we did same caller nine you know it was always the caller nine and so we would do the contest and and i remember one time it was a big contest like a lot flyaway type contest and so they were flying away to a grand destination and they were going to be at a concert on the beach and maybe even like Kenny Chesney or somebody I mean this huge just you know massive gone for eight days and you know shopping money and and I remember you know we always had listeners that won all the time we had several um, and there was a term of endearment that we used a lot and I didn't like it but still we did and it was prize pig yeah and so they were constantly always coming to remote and things like that and they would come to the table that's what you got going on up in here (laughs) same thing every week that we're here you know and there was one that called in and she immediately I recognized her voice immediately and I'm like hi you know hi who's this and she, you know, oh my gosh, am I calling number nine? You know, and just, and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, yep. 
nope, sorry, calling a break. Oh, you no, know? oh, no. But, but as it turned out, the other person that, that was right behind her was a great response. I mean, she was in her office and she was screaming. She didn't care who knew. And, and I'm guilty of that. I've yeah. done that before. But there, there is a time that I remember that we did actually have to call the police on somebody that came to the radio station. Now, this was when our studios were down on Moore, mm-hmm. uh, and KRXO is our sister station. And there was a guy that came in with a baseball bat, and he said, I want to see the DJ right now. Mm. Uh, and I was back in my office, and the receptionist buzzed me and said, can you come up here, please? And so I did. And there he is with his baseball bat. And he says, I want to see the DJ right now. Where is he? And he started walking down the hall a little bit. And I said, wait, wait, wait. And he swung the back the bat back as though he was going to hit me. I said, whoa, wow. hold, 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 hold. Wow. I said, uh, okay, so what is it you want? He says, the, the DJs, they're controlling my mind. I, I, I've got to see them right now. He mm. was mad. Yes, okay, I've been so there I, for that. So I guided him down the hall a little bit. But instead of going straight ahead into the where the studios were, I turned him to the left and I said, you see that door right there? There's a building out back there. The studios are in there. Go right there. Well, that building out back was the transmitter building that was all locked up. He went out that door and we locked all the doors. Mm. And, he, and he knew he'd been had. Right. So we saw him get in his car. We called the police and they chased him down. And they got him. Wow. But, uh, that was that was an interesting little threat. Yes, I, I've been I've been a part of those. We've had uh, we had bomb threats before. We had a backpack, a mysterious backpack in our four year once, uh, and it was kind of a glassed in area. You came in one door and then you went into another. We had a, a, a guy who. Um, who wanted to impress uh, one of the DJs, uh, female DJs on the air. So he was banging on the door, and we had a mag lock, which is the big magnetic lock, you know, security lock on there. And so the front door was always open, and you could go into the foyer area, the little glassed-in booth, and then you had to get to the second door, which was mag locked. Well, it took like tens of thousands of pounds of pressure or whatever to try to break that lock, mm-hmm. you know. The designer of the building and the the owner at the time that built that building, um, he also made it where that the handles would snap off, like the bolts were were cut a certain way. So if somebody put a chain around, they'd actually break the handle off the door before they'd get the door open. Hmm. And uh, but uh, he almost got in because he was able to bend that frame so much. And I'll never forget that getting that call from. The female on the air, she was freaked out, and she's like, "This guy's yelling and screaming into the into the door intercom, and he wants in." And so, it, there's been some pretty crazy ones there. Yeah, and and so security is definitely an issue, especially radio and TV stations, because somebody comes in and they can get on the air right away and do whatever they want. What always kind of amazed me was how uh, print publications sometimes have better security. Yes, <laughs> right. Uh, and I understand why, because they might get mad at some writer or something, but I always kind of joked, what do you think they do? They're going to break in and print something right away? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, security can be I'm, a, a real I'm important gonna, thing. I'm going to take this over right now and start this press. <laughs> That's right. I I guarantee you, in about three and a half, four hours, you're really going to hear from me. <laughs> That's right. Well, Kent, we're going to take a break real quick, but when we come back, I, I, I want to talk with you briefly about, um, I, I cannot not talk about Totally Awesome Ages. Okay? okay. So we're going to talk about that for a bit. I, I want to know how that started. Love the show. I mean, because I'm an 80s kid, and 
I'm, I'm addicted to it. So we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes when we come back. Don't take those earbuds out now. Behind the Mic with Rick Hampton returns in seconds. I'm Mo. And I'm Sheila Joe, And we're Mojo Merchandise. Mojo Merchandise was created by two friends with a craft passion. We love to make things as gifts like baby shower presents, wedding shower presents, party decorations, and balloon bouquets. There is nothing we can't do once we put our mind to it. We specialize in vinyl printed t-shirts, home decor signs, pillowcases, cups, and much more. If you have a favorite scripture or a mom saying you want on a t-shirt or sign, we've got you covered. If you have an idea or needing a gift, let Mojo Merchandise make it exactly what you need. Commercial over. Now on with the show. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Rick Hampton. Hey, thanks, Candace. We are back with Behind the Mic, and I'm sitting here talking with my friend Kent Jones. And man, we've had some great conversations so far I've about loved a it. lot of things, but one of the things that I cannot not talk about is Totally Awesome 80s. Oh, yes. I, that is my favorite show, and honestly, is my daughter's favorite show. Just yesterday, we were, uh, I was at work, I work at, at a church in Sand Springs, a church that matters, and our pastor, Rusty Gunn, and that's his real name, he uh, was talking about, you know, what, hey, were you doing this weekend, or what, you know, what's going on? And I said, well, actually, I'm going to Oklahoma City, and I'm going to be talking to Kent Jones. Now, the story behind that is, uh, for those that don't know, uh, Kent has helped us out a couple of times on sermon series. We do, we've done several sermon series where our band will do a song and then he preaches a message on it or pulls a sermon out of the song that we've done. So um, I've called up Ken, and every time he's been accommodating, and uh, he's like, sure, I'll, I'll talk about it. And so we basically let him do what he does best, and that is to tell a quick story about the song or a fact about it, and then talk about what year it came out, and then the title and the artist. And so tell me a little bit about that, because that's one of the things that I think uh, for me, I've always been fascinated with. I, I love your delivery with that, and I know that that probably has come with years of of doing things like that, but did you pattern yourself after somebody else, or is that just something you developed? As far as who I pattern myself after, you know, I've always been a fan of Casey Kasem. Mm-hmm. And American Top 40. In fact, I had the chance to take over that show when he retired from the show. I don't know if you knew that. I did not. Uh, this was when I was in Indianapolis, and I, I had heard that he was retiring. Now, at the time, of course, you know, I was doing that hit magazine show, mm-hmm. right? I had done that, and I actually had been a top five finalist in the International Radio Festival of New York with it. The only non-syndicated show... To, to be a top five finalist. And one of the other finalists was Casey Kasem's American Top 40. Wow. So when, when it came time for Casey to retire, they were looking for a replacement. I wrote to ABC Watermark and I said, you know, I told them the story about the radio festival and I'd done this thing and I've interviewed artists and so on. I was so impressed. They actually called me back and they said, you know what? We really like your stuff and we're going to keep you in mind. And I couldn't sleep that night. Right. It's like, I, whatever, I you, been whatever you paid Casey, I'll take a tenth of that. Right. I just want to do it. Uh, then I, later I found out that Shadow Stevens, who was already on Hollywood Squares and mm-hmm. already out there, and that he was in consideration. I thought, well, okay, that's it. That's it. And he ended up getting the show. Right. But anyway, so I've always liked that his style and his delivery. My name's Casey Kasem. Join me next week when once again we'll count down all the biggest hits in the USA. Till then... Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. And so I thought when I designed this show, Totally Awesome 80s, what am I going to do on this show? I can't tell time and temperature because this is going to be a national show. I can't talk about local stuff. 
So what are you going to fill it with? Well, let's make it interesting to the listener and let's give a little bit of tidbits of information on it and maybe deliver it a little Casey Kasem style. Now, again, nobody can be Casey. Nobody can really do that. Right. But like I say, you find somebody you like, you emulate that, and you turn it into your own style, which is basically what I did. And I right. just wanted to provide that information, have some fun. Have a little humor in there because my personality is, you know, I've got a dry sense of humor. I'll throw that in as well. Mm -hmm. And let's throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. Now, the reason I started doing this was because a good friend of mine, Steve Summers, he's a voiceover artist, lives in Dallas. But at the time, he was in Phoenix, and he had developed this show called The 70s Shack. And he wanted to syndicate it. And he said, Kent, you ought to do a show for the 80s and call it The 80s Shack. I thought, well, that's cool. And I started developing that. And I thought, you know what? What really fits the 80s would be like right. totally awesome nice. 80s. Let's call it that. And right. so that's what I did. Uh, and I applied for a trademark to, you know, to get that protected for me and develop that show. It wasn't until that was, in, that was in 2007. I remember doing that, designing the format, putting the music list, everything together. And it wasn't until 2011, somebody from the TKO radio network called me and they said, hey, you still have that show that you do? And I said, yeah. I mean, I haven't done it. I'm, right. I've got it designed, ready to go. Uh, it's a three-hour show. So they said, well, can you do five hours? I said, well, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll redesign it for five. I said, why do you want five? He says, well, our network is live satellite and uh, Rick Dees is leaving our network to go to and his show was five hours can mm -hmm. you and we want to just put you on in place of him I thought, wow that's cool okay um, all right I'll do that and uh, so that's what I did and, and and so that's how it launched in um, April of 2011 and there's a radio station that goes by that moniker now in Tulsa even uh, KTSO which you right. do uh, middays for I, I do um, and you know I'm really honored by them because what they wanted to do they liked the show so much they were airing it on KTSO when it was on 941 mm -hmm. and uh, when they swapped frequencies, uh, and, and went to 100.9, they said, you know, when we do that, we also want the entire radio station to be named after your show. We like the show. So I thought, wow, that is so cool. I mean, first of all, you've got to understand that putting a syndicated radio show together is a weird experience mm -hmm. because when you do that and then a station decides to take your show, I remember back again in the old days, I wished I could be on the radio. Here is a radio station somewhere in the country who is trusting their five hours of their airtime to me mm -hmm. to program it. I've never met anyone there. I've never set foot in the radio station. Whereas before you could, you would sit at the door of a radio station begging to get in to hope right. to get a job. Yes. And I'm like, how did I get to that point? So that was just a weird feeling to be on this other radio station somewhere. And so to have Bob at, at Totally Awesome 80s call me and say, this is what we want to do. And, and he said, what we want you to do is we'd like you to do Totally Awesome 80s six nights a week. And I thought, oh, okay. I, I immediately did the calculations. How am I going yeah. to do that? Hold on. <laughs> because it takes a lot of hours just sure. to put one show together. Anyway, so we went back and forth and, and worked out. Uh, I would just produce the, the show during the day. Mm -hmm. Not totally as like the Saturday night show because that stays totally special. Right. But still, through the week, I'm presenting some tidbits of information mm -hmm. on the show. Yep. Um, and I have my wife to thank for that. She does a lot, all of the research and some nice. of my memory and so That's on. That's cool. She puts a lot of work into it. Uh, and she's awesome. She's totally awesome. Very nice. <laughs> I hear what you did there. Oh, yeah. It pops up a lot. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I will say that uh, my daughter uh, is a huge fan uh, of the show as well. Oh, and, Cheyenne? And, yeah. She's, she's wonderful. She so is. And, you know, she was over the moon with uh, her special dedication, if you will, or whatever. Right. She just couldn't believe it. But it's funny. When I was talking to our pastor, and I was telling him, hey, I'm going to go record with uh, Kent. And, and he's like, oh, great. Totally awesome. Maybe. 
I will tell you, my daughter will always put your name in it. Oh, that's No matter nice. what. So that story, that's that's cool to understand then that um, you kind of patterned it a little bit after Casey Kasem. But really, what I'm hearing is, is that just like your advice, you heard, oh, that's a good show. I like his show. I like his delivery. Now I'm going to make that Kent. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, you know, taking those pieces and doing that. With the show itself, how many markets are you in now? Well, let's see. There, um, I have to kind of do some calculation because uh, we're distributing the show two different ways, one through the United Stations radio networks. And I was just thinking this morning, you know, I need to get a, a, a recount now of how many affiliates we have mm-hmm. there. It's a handful. And then also through my own syndication company, which is Fishnet Syndication, which TKO, I mentioned, that started syndicating right. it. Um, the The... Vice President of Marketing and I kind of put our heads together and said, you know what, let's let's buy out the assets of TKO and form our own company and let's let's grow this. So nice. that's where Fishnet Syndication came into being, coming up on four years ago, I guess. And uh, we've grown that from having three shows on, uh, I think it was 20 or 30 stations to uh, over 30 shows now and daily features on over 500 radio stations. Wow. And so the Totally Awesome 80s is just one of those one of those shows. And I would say that Totally Awesome 80s is probably on 40 or so radio stations. That's awesome. Uh, the that's farthest one uh, away was in Guam for a long time. And I thought, wow, that's cool. That's like halfway around the world. Mm-hmm. And again, it's such a weird feeling knowing that you know, I'm on the air there and right. there and there. Um, you know, for a guy that just is used to being on local radio, it's fun. It's well, fun. and for a guy uh, that started out announcing the band. Right. You know, I mean, look at you, where you are now. Yeah, I started from a stadium so, and now to the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your personal life a little bit. We won't mm-hmm. go too, too deep. Who is your biggest influence in your personal life? If I could name who it is, it's, it's really my parents mm-hmm. and the upbringing that they they brought me up with good morals, good values, with a sense of responsibility, manners, those kinds of things that have played out well in me being able to develop relationships with people with respect and communicate with them and really develop a rapport with people. Um, it's just also a good way to live, in in, in my opinion. I was brought up in a Methodist church and... Um, I was always active in the in the youth group there. Um, accepted Christ as my savior uh, when I was in high school, and continued on with a group called the Navigators in uh, in college to do more uh, Christian studies. And so, with that foundation that has always guided me, and and therefore we go into how I program a radio station that's a family oriented radio station. Mm-hmm. You know, if it bothers me, it would probably bother a lot of the listeners. Right. And I and I credit a lot of that whole thing to being able to put myself into a radio station to help mold it to become uh, widely accepted, loved, whatever, mm-hmm. and popular. Right. Um, and I feel honored that, that that has happened. So back to when I was wanting to be uh, an actor, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I would see the, the TV commercials for toys, and I, I, and when we, I learned we were going to move to the New York City area because mm-hmm. my dad was being transferred. He worked for the phone company. And I said, Dad, can you get me into commercials? Because I want to. I want those toys that they advertise. <laughs> I thought that's how you got paid. Right. <laughs> All right. And and that went on to I was in school plays and so on and, and really enjoyed acting. And then when I said I really want to be – I want to go to Hollywood and be a movie actor, and my mom said to me – you know, that can really be a tough road. It's not all glitz and glam like you'd think, and it's really kind of competitive. So I thought about that for just a second. And I said, you know, how about if I be a radio DJ? 
And she looked around. I had already wired the house with speakers everywhere. I was playing music from my bedroom to, to the basement, to the kitchen, to Very wherever. Nice. Had an intercom. I, I wired that up and everything. She goes, you know, I think that would suit you rather well. And I started listening more and more to the radio, called my favorite DJs, uh, talked with him about what is it like to be in radio. In fact, I remember Phil Gardner, who was a very popular guy in Cleveland, Ohio. And this was when I lived in Brexville. I said, what is it like? And he said, well, about every year you're going to move to a new city for more money, bigger (laughs) market. Sure. um, And uh, just expect that. Well, okay. My upbringing was my dad worked for the phone company, Ohio Bell and AT&T, and we moved every couple of years anyway. All right. No big deal. I'm into that. So I'll go into the radio business. And uh, as as you heard from earlier – I moved around a little bit at the beginning, and I've been here 30 years. And I thought, this is totally unreal. Right. Right. But thanks to my mom, who kind of – and I I do movies now, right, Mm -hmm. because I finally said, I still want to be in movies. You know, being in radio is a whole lot of fun. You get to act, perform, interact with listeners and so on, and have a job to go to every day. But I still want to be in movies. So that's when – I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I started taking acting classes and starting going out for movies. And I've been in some movies that have done some things. And so I've been able to live that dream while also having a ton of fun on the radio. And so thanks to my mom for kind of guiding me to going the radio route and saying, yeah, you could fit there. Yeah. Like they say, the rest but it's of the also, But it's also put you in other positions, too, now, where you do have those opportunities. You know, I, yeah. I was reading in your bio, you uh, you had a brush with Nancy Cartwright, who went on to do the voice of Bart Simpson. So yeah. you have a tie to the Simpsons as well. But um, you, there's several sides of you because you do you, you have that multifaceted talent with uh, audio, so you have the audio background, which we've established. Um, you've done some TV, uh, although scared to death that you'd have to actually do it, you know, full time. <laughs> but then you've also done film as well, and, and you've been in a few. Uh, and yeah. then you have one coming out as well, right? Um, and you know, it, it, one of the one of the better movies that that has already come out is Cowgirls and Angels. And I play a doctor. I'm in one scene. The funny thing about that was, you know, um, and I understand as a film editor myself that what gets shot doesn't always make it to the screen. Right. So my scene was a page and a half of script. It was a minute and a half long. We even moved from one part of the room to the other. It was one of those things that was blocking and everything. Ended up being two lines in the mm. movie. That's, uh, but I'm still in, okay? Yeah. So that was fun. What were your two lines? Do you remember them? Uh, I forget. Uh, isn't that something? Was you it, work really hard it, to memorize it. Was it medical jargon or uh, was it? No, it was like, uh, okay, here's what, here's what he has and we really think it's going to be uh, a problem. I, it's, wow. It's something along those lines. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then she goes, okay, doctor, thank you. And then I walk off. You know, so it was just a little thing, but sure a lot of fun to do. So the one that's coming out this, this fall is, um, is called Gosnell, The Trial of America's Greatest Murderer. Uh, and this is a very controversial film. Because it has to do with abortion. This is a this is a, 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 an abortion doctor in Philadelphia who just a few years ago was convicted of uh, three counts of, of murder and, and some others, um, and uh, and for the and it did not get much press coverage when for thirty years this doctor was doing these things. If you look up his story, you'll just be amazed at what he was getting away with mm-hmm. for all these years. Very unhealthy stuff where he would actually terminate the babies after they were born. Wow. In, 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 a, in a very cruel way. So anyway, he was finally investigated. Then this, uh, he was convicted. And then this movie was written basically from the transcripts of the, of the court trial. 
and the notes from the investigators who also spent some time with us on set when, when the movie was being filmed. And they, they have tried very well to present an accurate depiction of this. Mm-hmm. Um, when I read the script, I thought, I'm not sure. I mean, I think both sides of that very controversial issue will claim this as their uh, their story, that they, they like this. Right. But for the longest time, Hollywood would not uh, distribute the film. Uh, they, they, were, they, they couldn't find a distributor that would touch it. Mm. Um, until finally they did. The interesting thing, one of the things that, that held it up was the real judge in the case did not like the way he was depicted in the book and in the film. I play the judge mm. in the film. <laughs> so either that means I'm a terrible actor <laughs> or a really good actor doing what that right. was. Uh, but the good thing I know is I'm in the film. <laughs> right. Well, and I, I would and probably an lean message. I would probably lean to the latter. Um, I'm sure he was probably upset because, you know, we have a tendency to do that when we when you shine a light on something. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you've you know, if you've made a mistake or if you, you know, believed a certain way or whatever, it's, uh, you know, after the fact, it's it can be very well, right, and, you know, and I'm, I'm sure it had nothing to do with the acting. I think right. it was the fact that he his part played a, a pivotal role in the whole case. Right. Of course, he was the judge, right, and so he didn't he, he wanted that case to be gone. I, th- I think, mm-hmm. and so to have it come out on film, he he wanted to try to block that. So another one that you uh, played a part in, uh, as far as I know, you edited. A lot, and uh, I'm looking around your uh, the room here, and I see a big poster of it, <laughs> Hollywood photos of Katie Mills. Yes, um, I watched that. Um, uh-huh. uh, very fascinating, very fascinating story. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, um, this was uh, this was written by a friend of mine, Paul Tompkins, who interestingly was a guest speaker at one of the acting classes I went to. When I said I'm going to get into acting, I got to do this. He was visiting because he was moving back from Hollywood. He spent 20 years in Hollywood as a writer and as an actor. And so I wanted to get a hold of him and talk to him. Thing is, you see, again, here I'm starstruck. I want to get into movies. This guy who's been in there, he's too big. He, he won't talk to me. I did not call him for three years until a, until a friend of mine met him at a luncheon. And he said, you need to meet this guy. And he told the guy that he needed to meet me. So we got together, and yeah, by that time I had produced some music videos and some other things. We got to talking, and I started producing some things with him here in Oklahoma City. And then this movie came up, and he read the script to me over lunch. It's only a 12-minute film. Yes. And I said, that is a really cool film. He says, well, one of my scriptwriting students has given me $2,000 to produce a film. And she said, go ahead and produce that one. Well, he can't do it for $2,000. Right. I think he, he put a lot of his own money into it. And and so I said, okay, great. And so I was the behind-the-scenes camera guy at the filming of this movie over the course of just two days. And uh, and I shot all the behind-the-scenes stuff, the behind-the-scenes interviews. And by this time, I kind of learned how to interview. So right. it was all right. Um, and I did all the features for the DVD. Well, when the movie got edited, the guy that, that did the editing admitted he hated editing. He did a good enough job for it to get accepted into the uh, Dead Center Film Festival. But Paul Tompkins, the director and writer, he pulled it from that. He says, this isn't – it doesn't look the way I want it to look. I said, well, Paul, give me the footage. Let me try playing around with it. Now, we had over 12 hours of footage for a 12-minute film. And I went through all of that and started putting together the first scene. And when he saw what I'd done, he goes, that's it. That's, that's what I want. Keep going. And so I did. And over the course of uh, the summertime of uh, 2006 – 
um, I went ahead and finished out the film. And with his direction, and we added Foley, and we added uh, some voiceover ADR and and music, all recorded here in this studio, and put it out. Well, immediately it got accepted into the uh, Manhattan Short Film Festival, a top 12 finalist. Now, they had received over 350 entries from countries around the world. And they said, this film is definitely one of the top 12. So it got screened around the world as a result, and then was entered into many other film festivals around the country. And, and Sarah Ray Foster, who is the star of the film, also received some awards on that. And she's gone on to Hollywood and done some other things nice. since then. So that's been cool. So yeah, it, it was editing that film that I realized how much fun film editing is. So getting on this side of the camera and in, in, in the editing booth, because I could take Sarah Ray's uh, performance. On one scene, she gives a look at the camera, and she says just one word. But her look was awesome. The word didn't quite come out the way I felt would be the most effective. So I took the the video from take seven. I took the audio from take five. And then we added some Foley in it after the sound effect and and created the perfect performance. And that's the fun of the editor. Mm -hmm. The editor can make or break a performance, and I knew this because some of the when I started doing some of the acting, and I was I was volunteering in some of the student projects, which you know they do the best they can, they're learning and all that. But I'm like, why did they edit there? Why did they do that take? Mm-hmm. I looked terrible. <laughs> Maybe I was, right. but <laughs> I started realizing that I must have an eye for this because I'm seeing things that could be better. And when I got a chance to edit this film, and thanks to Paul Tompkins for the opportunity. That film um, was a starting point for me to go on to to producing a lot of other music videos, commercials, corporate videos, and it just it just opened up a whole new world for me in production of what I like to do. Which which is good because you've spent so many you know years in in radio and things like that. So mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about that. What is uh, some of the things you love to do? And it sounds like. Everything. That's, I sort of say it. it sounds like you, you're pretty much dabbling about everything now. And, and, to... and by the way, since you mentioned it, that you saw the film, if anyone wants to see the film, let me invite them to go to the website. Yes. HollywoodPhotosOfKatieMills.com. It's a long name. But... It is, but it's a good It's a good film. I liked it, too. I, I really did. Watch I enjoyed it in the it. dark. Right. Yes, because I, I remember you told me that in, the, in yeah. one of our emails back and forth. You were like uh, – Oh, and be the, by the way, watch it in the dark. Oh, and you know that the yeah. joy of it is? We screened it in my living room here with some friends and their daughters. Um, and it's probably, what would you, would you say it's like a PG-13 yeah, film perhaps? Probably. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what's fun is sitting back while the room is dark and they're watching the film and watching their reactions and going like, yes, they responded the way That's what I, I wanted. intended yep. the edit to happen. <laughs> yep. Perfect. Uh, and when she goes, who are you? They responded with the exact word I wanted them to say. And it, it's so awesome. you got to see the film. Yep. All right. We will do that. I, <laughs> I agree, and I do agree with that. You do need to see the film. It's a good one. So um, we've talked about a ton of stuff that you are good at. Oh, thank what you. are you not very good at? Uh, singing. I am not really good, at, although I've done karaoke. Uh, but I couldn't carry a tune if it had handles and came in a bucket uh, with a forklift. Uh, no, singing is not one one of my best best things. What is one thing that um, somebody doesn't know about you? What is that one thing that you that you really have never told anybody? Wow, I'm such a talker. I probably told everybody everything. Um, a lot of people don't know that I ride a unicycle. Although I did do that for PM Magazine one time. A wow. six-footer, as a matter of fact. Taught myself just for the show. So that is probably one thing... Uh, also, I ate cat food out of a dish when my brothers told me to pretend to be like a cat. So 
Okay. It, I still remember the taste, and it was not good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sat and wondered, why in the world would anybody want this? Right, right. Yeah. My brothers flew model airplanes. I flew model rockets until all four of them ended up being lost somewhere in some neighborhood. Hmm. See, I don't know. I might have taken the model rocket and tried to shoot down their model planes. How about that? <laughs> I didn't think of that. Where were you back then? When we come back, you know it, you love it. It's time once again to put our special guest through the Behind the Mic speed round of questions. You're listening to Behind the Mic with me, Rick Hampton. Don't take those earbuds out now. Behind the Mic with Rick Hampton returns in seconds. Summer months are upon us, and I'm sure by now you've had your AC on. If you're like me, my AC was struggling to keep up, so I called Troy at Total Comfort Solutions. He inspected and serviced my AC compressor, and now it practically spits ice chips out of the vents. Okay, well, maybe not ice chips, but it is cold, cold air. If your air conditioner isn't working, that ain't cool. Call Troy at 918-629-0615. That's 918-629-0615. Total Comfort Solutions in Sand Springs, 918-629-0615. Behind the mic, speed round. All right, we're back with Behind the Mic with Rick Hampton, and my special guest has been Kent Jones in the hot seat right now. Now, Kent, I know you played this game before. It's kind of the beat the bomb type game. We call it the Behind the Mic speed round of questions. It's very simple. We're going to put 60 seconds on the clock, and I'll ask you a series of questions. You give me your quickest answer. You're going to be playing for a loyal listener behind the mic. If you answer all the questions in under 60 seconds or less, then Jasmine Gage from Bristol, Oklahoma, is going to pick up a $20 gift certificate from our sponsor, Mojo Merchandise. All right. right? This is for you. We're going to put 20 seconds on the clock, and the time begins after I ask you the first question. I know Jasmine's ready to win. Are you ready? I'm ready. What was your favorite TV show or movie when you were growing up? My favorite, Martian. If you were to perform in the circus, what would you do? I would be a unicycle rider. On a scale of 1 to 10, how weird are you? Oh, probably an 8. If you owned a CB radio, what would your handle be? I had one, and it was disc jockey. Talking or texting? Both, but I've, I've learned to text and, and appreciate the value of that. What is your favorite word? Uh, snarf. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, uh, playing a trombone. What is your favorite curse word replacement? word. Darn. Favorite movie of all time? 2001 A Space Odyssey. If you could have had the starring role in one film already made, which movie would you pick? Wow. Anything with Ron Howard. People say I look like him. Um, you kind of do. So one one movie already made. Gosh it, oh gosh, it would be Star Wars. Nice. Very nice. Did I make it? You got it. Yay! Congratulations to Jasmine Gage from Bristol, Oklahoma. She picks up that $20 gift card to Mojo Merchandise. And Ken... It has been a pleasure to have you with me today. Well, I appreciate it, Rick. This has been great. Thank you very much for talking with me. That's going to do it for this episode of Behind the Mic with Rick Hampton. If you like what you hear, I would love for you to go to my Facebook page, Behind the Mic with Rick Hampton, and leave me a comment. If you want to play along and be the next big winner for the Behind the Mic Speed Round Contest, then email me at btmrickhampton at gmail.com. That's btmrickhampton at gmail.com, and you could be my next big winner. Well, coming up next episode, it is my 10th episode. My special guest host, yeah, you heard that right, the host is going to be Shara Kimiko. She, of course, was with Channel 6, Channel 2, Channel 23 in Tulsa, Oklahoma as a news anchor. And she is a great MC as well. You do not want to miss it. It's going to be a good one. We're going to be talking about why I started Behind the Mic with Rick Hampton and a little bit more about my life as well. 
so you don't want to miss it. Be here for that one, too. Until next time, thanks for listening to Behind the Mic with Rick Hampton. Bye, everybody. That's this week's episode of the Behind the Mic with Rick Hampton podcast, brought to you by Mojo Merchandise, your choice for customized tees, thermal tumblers, home decor, and more. You can subscribe to this show on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Facebook. Search Behind the Mic with Rick Hampton. Until next time, thanks for listening.